Okay, so we're dealing with Peter, obviously, and uh, just looking at that, I'm sure you guys know it's, it's when Peter denied Jesus three times. Uh, this is a pretty bleak moment in Peter's life, obviously. Um, however, uh, we know some other things about Peter as well. We know quite a lot about him from the Bible that aren't so bleak. For example, uh, does anyone know Peter's original name? Simon. Uh, does anyone, this is a hard one. Does anyone know where Peter lived? Starts with a C. Capernaum, yeah, part of Jesus' ministry living. I know, I say it differently, Capernaum, I don't know. Um, does anybody know what Peter's brother was named? Andrew, who's also a disciple, well done. And uh, he was married. Uh, a couple other things about Peter, he was the, the natural spokesman or leader of the disciples. He was known for bold statements such as, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He was also known for uh, rushing into things headlong when he didn't quite understand the situation. Um, but he was also known, if you read the book of Acts, really in the first half of it, uh, he was pretty much the main character in the book of Acts, which means he was really one of the most influential early Christians, okay? So what I want you guys to kind of get in your minds, uh, the context I want you to build when we talk about this passage, is that at this point, okay, Peter is at a, a really low point, okay? He's de- denying Jesus, and, and you guys saw a woman question him just then. Well, I think one of the Gospels actually says it was probably a little girl. So even in the face of talking to a little girl, he wasn't able to... Um, identify himself with Jesus. He's at a low point in his life, but once again, we know from Acts that he was actually a really passionate leader of the early church. So the question is, what happened to Peter after his denial and before he became that leader of the church? That's really the question, okay? Um, And I believe that the answer to this question is one of the main reasons why we have chapter 21 of the Gospel of John. Is that buzz okay? Okay. Uh, I, I think that's one main reason why we have uh, chapter 21 of the gospel, okay? And the reason why I say this is because there's a lot of people who would say uh, the Apostle John wrote up until chapter 20, and then chapter 21 doesn't really fit, and it was, it was written by a later date, uh, but I don't think that's the case. So, so if we go back to the end of chapter 20, um, kind of the last thing you see is John saying, look, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name, which is a great way to end it. However... Knowing that Peter um, is who he's he, or is going to become, who he's going to become, I think John is going to wrap up some loose ends for us. Okay, so the passage that we'll talk about will hopefully do that, especially with Peter. And as we kind of go through this passage, what I want you to kind of do is, um, we're reading through it, is we're just going to read through it. Uh, and if you want to grab a Bible anytime, please do. Kind of try to put yourself you know, and think through Peter's eyes and really see what kind of he is doing, okay? Because the great thing about John chapter 21 is that he shows us this intimate encounter with Jesus and Peter, right? A person who is kind of sunk way down to the depths. He's really low. Jesus has called him to be the leader of the church. He knows that. And so this little window into his life is we're going to see Jesus actually restore someone back to faith. And that's great for us because even though the context and the culture is completely different, I really do believe that the conversation that Jesus would have with you or I or a Christian today is pretty much kind of the same thing. Okay? So even though the Bible is written in a different context... Right? It has a certain meaning in that context. It doesn't change. And you've probably heard some people say, well, this passage means to me. I kind of know what they mean, but it's not quite right. The passages have one meaning, and then how we apply it to our culture and our life and our age and our situation can be different. And that's the great thing about the Bible. So let's go ahead and uh, jump into chapter 21, okay? 
Um, and what I'm going to do, I kind of think what God wants is just to kind of read through this and then bring out some questions. I, I know that I, I at least challenge myself with these questions, and hopefully you guys can be thinking about them as well. So we'll start in uh, John chapter 21, and we'll just start in verse 1, and, and the first bit we'll read, I think, is um, verse 1 through to 8. Okay? It's John 21, verses 1 through 8. It says, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples, I'm important later on, by the Sea of Tiberias, and he, was, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, uh, the sons of Zebedee, which is John and his brother, and two other disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, this is Peter, uh, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast a net on the other side of the boat, and you will find some. And by the way, I don't know if anybody ever fishes in here, uh, but you could probably think of this you know, as your job. Do you ever like it when people tell you what to do at your job? No, you don't like that. So, because these guys have been fishing all night, and Jesus is like, oh, by the way, uh, you're fishing in the wrong spot. Uh, Chris fishes, by the way. I fished with him one time. After the service, you should ask him who caught the bigger fish. Um, okay, verse, verse 6. <laughs> so, uh, verse 6, he said to them, cast your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple uh, whom Jesus loved, that, that's John, the person writing this, therefore said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. So basically what's happening, right, they're going fishing, they've caught nothing all night, it's probably been a hard day's work. It's hot and sweaty. And this person comes on the shore and says, hey, have you caught anything? No. Well, try fishing over here. Uh, and so they do it, and they catch a whole bunch of fish. And then all of a sudden, John realizes, hey, I recognize that voice. Hey, Peter, guess what? That's Jesus. What, is, what does Peter do? He immediately puts his robe on, which is kind of strange, isn't it? And then he flings himself and swims 100 yards to Jesus. That's kind of strange, isn't it? And at first, when I was reading that, I thought... If he was all hot and sweaty and he was about to swim 100 yards, why would he put his clothes back on and then jump into the water? And I was kind of thinking about that. And I just kind of thought about, I remember kind of putting ourselves in Peter's position about how I approach the Lord Jesus sometimes. I think sometimes I have just a bit more casual approach to it that I don't, I don't think maybe is the best in every situation. You know, I think Peter actually realized, look, I've seen Jesus rose from the dead. This is the kind of the second or third time I've seen him. And when I come to approach him, I need to make sure that I've got some things together, okay? Um, there, there was one time, I guess about 10 years ago or, or longer than that, uh, there was a shirt I'm from, from a state called Tennessee that I absolutely hated. I don't know if you guys have seen this, but it had a picture of Jesus on it with a crown of thorns. It said, Jesus is my homeboy. You ever seen this shirt? I absolutely could not stand. I couldn't stand that shirt. I know that, that God is our friend, Jesus is our friend, but I still think um, how Peter approaches the Lord is really great in that passage. And the second thing that I really want to bring out of that is that I, I could just see as soon as Simon Peter uh, hears that from John, it's the Lord. He just feels this incredible excitement, so much to the point that he, no matter what has to happen, he's not worried about the fish, he's not worried about his friends, he immediately jumps in the ocean and he swims to the shore. And the question I had to ask myself was this, is when was, when was the last time that I got that excited about seeing or being with Jesus? 
When's the last time I got that excited? I mean, the great thing about the Bible is, is God doesn't say, you know, if you go to church for 50 years and um, you do projects twice a week and you give half of your money away, then I might let you see about how good that I am. Maybe. You know what God says in the Bible about himself? He says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Just, just a little taste because he wants us to taste and see because he wants us to know that he's good. And I kind of I thought about that, that taste and see thing. I don't know if anybody else is in the same boat, but um, I really like coffee. I'm, I'm addicted to coffee, I'll just admit it. And there have been too many times in my life when I wake up, and the first thing that I think about is not my, my, my great wife, it's not my children, it's not the work that I go to. Um, I think about making a cup of coffee, right? And I've got one of those little mocha things, and I put it on the stove. It's like a ritual, you know, like I can't wait to drink it. And so many times the Holy Spirit has just been... Josh, I just, I just wish that when you get up in the morning, you were that excited about being with me. And it was really just like, mm. uh, Carrying on to verses 9 through 11, okay? So remember, trying to see what Peter is doing, okay? Because these things are going to be important when we get into our, our passage in just a minute that we're focusing on. Um, John 21, verse 9. So when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place and fish laid out on it and bread. And by the way, if you think about it, uh, I don't think Jesus was fishing. It may have been another miracle. Uh, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net, full, uh, hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Uh, take a look at verse 10. It's really interesting. Notice, um, Jesus said, look, you guys, I've got some fish already, but bring some of your fish. Who is the person that got all the fish? Peter. After he had just swam 100 yards to the ocean. And if you really think about that, um, what does that tell you? Remember, Peter's coming off of this denial. He's kind of at a low spiritual point. What does that tell you about Peter's heart? I mean, Jesus says something, and he is quick to obey, isn't he? I mean, it's just almost immediately. Uh, when I was thinking about that, I was thinking about Abraham. When you read in Genesis, when God tells Abraham to go sacrifice his son, which is an unbelievable request for him to do, do you know what it says after that? Because yeah, I would have thought Abraham would have said something. This is what I would say. I would say something like, well, maybe I quite didn't hear you, God. Maybe I'll give it a month or two and pray about it, and then, you know, I'll understand. But you know what it says Abraham did? It says he arose early the next morning. That's unbelievable, isn't it? To have a faith like that. To trust God that much that whatever He says, He's going to do it immediately. So I had to ask myself the same question. Um, what is my life characterized by? Is it characterized by immediate obedience to what I think God is doing? Or maybe disobedience? Or maybe, or maybe waiting? Maybe waiting to pass up an opportunity that maybe I don't really want to get? So I was thinking about that. Another thing I was thinking about in that passage I wanted to bring out is the fact that, do you notice that John told us exactly how many fish they caught? Why do you think he did that? I was thinking, you know, I was just thinking about that, and, and this is what amazes me about the Bible. This is why you should read the Bibles, because do you know how John, you know how come John knew how many fish there were? Because he probably counted them, didn't he? And this is incredibly obvious, but um, that means he was there, and he saw this happen. Okay? And look, that's just a, such an encouragement to me, because if you, if you live life long enough, and you get to meet enough people, you know that there are a lot of people who do not believe they just, they don't believe, okay? And the encouragement of this was to me, which is to you, is that you can absolutely 100% trust this book, okay? 
It's not a suggestion, okay? This story about Jesus is not real. Story is the wrong word, okay? This story about Jesus is an eyewitness account of what John has seen. And the amazing thing about it is, the amazing thing about it is that all that John did, and all the really the uh, uh, disciples did, was they told people about what they've seen. And the Romans and other people, they tortured them and they put them to death. But they couldn't stop talking about it because they've seen it. Okay, so I don't know if you're here today and maybe you're thinking, I don't know about this Christian thing, or maybe you've been a Christian, and you might not have a complete 100% faith in the Word of God. Let me just assure you, um, this is the Word of God. And, and trust me, God is, is powerful enough to preserve His Word throughout history and context. And the most important thing is, He is willing to preserve His Word for you. In other words, He wants you to understand Him. I mean, think about those of you in here who are parents. If you are telling your children something important, don't you want to communicate in a way where they can understand it? You don't want to be intentionally deceiving, do you? Well, neither does God. So the words that He has left us, they've been passed through history, they've been passed through context, they've been translated through scribes, that is true. But He is willing and able to preserve it, and you can trust it. And I have have a feeling some of you, too, uh, need to think about this as being uh, the authority of the Word of God. Uh, But maybe we'll talk about that uh, in just a minute. So in verse 12 through 14, um, I just put in my notes that they ate some breakfast. I didn't want to read it all because I think we can skip to the bitter part. But in verse 12 through 14, they sit around and they eat some breakfast. And I think that that's helpful for us because um, if you just picture it, all right, we've got six or seven people plus Jesus on a beach around a fire. Okay? Because I think a lot of times when I read this passage when Jesus is about to talk to Peter, I kind of thought it was like just Jesus talking to Peter. And we forget that this is out in public. Okay, so try to kind of picture that um, as we're going through this text. And and verses 15 through 17 are really what I want to focus on. Um, And I I just really, it just really spoke to me about kind of God's love and Christ's love for me. And I just hopefully want to convey that to you. Um, And we'll start reading in verses 15 through 17. It says, when they had finished breakfast, uh, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then he said to him, Feed my lambs. Then he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. Verse 17, he said to him the third time, right? Three denials, third time. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved Because he said that to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So so what's going on here? A couple things to remember, okay? Um, Like we just said, Peter... Peter, Peter is, and this is in my opinion, I don't think it says it, but I think it's fair to say, Peter is really, 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 he's down spiritually as low as he's ever been. I, I think probably that that scene that you saw is probably replaying over and over and over again in his mind to the extent to which he's pretty much given up faith a little bit. I really do think that. And the reason why I think that is because if you notice at the beginning of the passage, it says that he's fishing, okay? And I know now people go fishing like for fun, but Peter was a fisherman. That's what he did. It's like, it's like he was returning to, you know, Jesus called him. He said, look, Peter, you're not going to fish anymore for fish. You're going to be a fisher of, of men. And it's like Peter is saying, look, I've seen Jesus rise. And I know all this, but look, I cannot get over this. I cannot get over. I've deni- I, was bo- I was boasting I was going to follow him, but I denied him. That, that's it. I'm done. I'm walking away from this. I'm going back to my old life. And I think it's interesting that when Jesus is asking Peter these questions, do you love me? Do you notice what name he uses? 
He doesn't say Peter. He says Simon. And that was, Jesus, that was Peter's old name. And the first time he asked him, he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And I kind of think, uh, and there's, there's a pastor um, named John MacArthur that was g- going through this stuff, stolen some of his stuff. He, he kind of says the same thing, is that he can imagine, you know, sitting around on the beach, and Jesus says, Peter, do you love me more than these? And he kind of stretches out his hand, and, and he's kind of, you know, pointing towards the fishing boats and the nets and the other fishermen in his old life. saying, Peter, you know what I've called you to. You know what I've called you to. Do you love me more than these? Second thing I want to bring out <laughs> is what Jesus wants Peter to understand. Okay? I mean, Jesus knows he's called Peter to be the leader of the church. Um, and basically, what he wants from Peter is for Peter to love him. Right? He asked him the same question three times Peter, do you love me? Okay? That, that's what he wants, all right? And Peter in Acts is used in an absolute mighty way. And the only requirement, the only requirement that Peter had to have in order to be used in a mighty way by God had nothing to do with intellect or, pro- or prominence or power or anything. It had to do with the fact that he loved Jesus. I mean, you can just imagine the CV I love Jesus. That was it. That was the point that Jesus was trying to drive home. Okay, Peter, I want you to love me. Okay? Um, it's an amazing thing happened Friday at, at school. Um, I told, this, I told a bit of this story in, in the morning service a couple months ago, but there's two teachers, uh, that want, myself and another teacher, and we get together every Thursday and we pray for our school and, and that the teachers would know Christ and the students would know Christ. Um, and a couple months ago, he just put it on our hearts to start doing something more intentional. And so we started doing a Christian club um, where we would invite the students in for break and we would just start teaching them about Jesus and about the gospel and going through the Youth Alpha course. Uh, and God's just doing some amazing things. You know, we thought two or three kids would turn up and it's been 30 or 40, 30 or 40 year 9 and year 10 students. Uh, and they just keep coming back, you know, and they don't know what they're getting into, but they, they just keep coming back. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. And, and uh, this Friday, two days ago, uh, a sixth form student who, who went to, that, went to this, this school um, in, in year 9 and 10 said, you know, hey, I heard you at Christian Club. Can I come? And I was like, yeah, sure, come on in. I mean, this guy is huge, you know, as big as that door back there. And he walks in, and he sits down. All these year 9 students are, like, trembling in their boots. And the first thing he says, he looks at them, and he says, when I was in year, when I was in year 9, I was worse than all of you. And, and they believe him. They're like, okay. Um, <laughs> And then he goes, but you know, I gave my life to Jesus in year nine, and he changed all that. And I'm telling you, that this, they didn't know how to take it. And he said, you know, I went to youth group one night, and my friend was talking about uh, God judging people's sin. And he said, I knew I was a bad kid. And he said, I knew God was going to judge me. And he said, I knew God would be just when he judges me. And then, he, and then this, is, this is the amazing thing, bring it back to love. And he said, he said, you know, I gave my life to Christ out of fear. He said, but now I serve God out of love. Out of love for what he did for me. And I'm telling the kit on their faces, the spirit was thick, and they could not, they couldn't take it. You know, they just didn't, they just couldn't take it. But you could see the Holy Spirit working in their lives. And I just remember that phrase. You know, I, I accepted Christ out of fear, but now I serve God out of love. And that's what Jesus is saying to Peter. Your the requirement, church, beloved, that, that God has for you to fulfill all of the law is simply one thing, is to love God with everything that you have and to love other people. Yeah. In this, you fulfill all the requirements of the law. Okay? And it's so amazing because a picture of religion is just some, you know, God standing at the top of a mountain looking down saying, hey, I hope you guys can come up here. Uh, you know, good luck. I'll be up here waiting on you. But the Bible, you know, the God of the Bible looks down and he says they're never going to make it, so I'm going to come down to the bottom of the mountain and get them and bring them up. It's an absolutely amazing story. Amazing God we serve.
Um, another thing to keep in mind, this is a bit, a bit kind of technical, but I think we need to talk about it anyway, is the word love in the passage. Uh, there's three different words in the Greek for love, and we only have one. And Jesus is going to use two of them. Peter uses one of them. So the first two times that Jesus says love, he uses the, the word, the, basically the form agape, which is like full-on super love, like I love you with everything I got. Okay, But when Peter answers back, he doesn't use that word. He uses the word phileo, which is like brotherly love, like how you have a strong kind of affection or liking for someone, like maybe your mates you play football with them, and we can just like them. It's not like you love them with everything you have. Okay, So if you look back at the passage, and I'll just kind of retranslate this for you. Jesus is going to ask Peter these questions. Jesus is basically saying to Peter, okay, Peter, do you really love me? I mean, Peter, do you really love me? And Jesus is, I mean, Peter's just kind of like, Lord, I like you. I like you. You know, I like you a lot. I have affection for you. And Jesus is like, no, Peter, Peter, do you really, do you love me with every single thing that you have? With everything that you are, do you love me? And Jesus is, or Peter's saying, Jesus, like, you know, I, <laughs> I really like you a lot. And the third time that Jesus asked him the question, the third time that, that Jesus asked the question, he uses Peter's word for love. And so it's basically like Jesus saying, do you really love me? Do you really love me? Peter, do you even like me at all? Do you even like me at all? And, and, and that's why you read in the text. Remember, this is public, right? The other disciples, you know, sitting there like with their fish, like, oh my goodness, like, what is, what is Jesus doing to Peter, you know? And it says in the text, he was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And all Peter has to do, because this is the thing, is that this is what Peter gets. And this is, this is why Jesus was pushing Peter, okay? This is why he was, it's kind of like, you know, a surgeon. You know, a surgeon sometimes has to cut you before he can heal you. It's kind of like this is what Jesus is doing. What is, Peter knows, okay? He's denied Jesus. In the past, he's been bold and said, I'll follow you to death. And then he's denied Jesus. He knows that he cannot look Jesus in the face and say, Jesus, I love you with everything I have. He knows that. But you know what? So did Jesus. You see, Jesus knew that. You see, Jesus knew that the love that Peter had for him was not a perfect love. And at that point, Jesus could have said, sorry, Peter, I demand a perfect love. Here's the door. See you later. But he doesn't do that. What does he say? Three times, tend my sheep. That's in context. What does that mean for us today? It means that, Peter, I love you with a perfect love. I have called you for a purpose. And because I love you and I've called you, I will bring about that purpose in your life. So can I just say, uh, just real quickly to you, um, and I'll, I'll put my hand up to you, I don't love Jesus with a perfect love, and neither does any of us, but God loves us with a perfect love, and so does Christ. And because of that reason, He's called us. Because of that reason, He will complete in you the work that He began. Not because of your boldness or intelligence or prominence or anything else. Okay? And then just to drive it home, and this is, the Bible is amazing that He says, to drive this home, okay? because Jesus knows, look, if Peter's going to be a leader in the church, He knows this, Okay? He has got to leave this denial bit behind. And he doesn't want Peter to get in a situation where he's worrying, look, if I'm in this situation again, am I going to deny Christ again? Because a leader with no confidence is not a leader at all. And so listen to how Jesus takes care of this and fully restores Peter. This is absolutely amazing. But to our culture, it's like, what? You can't say that. Look at verses 18. Okay, last two verses. This is, this is Jesus restoring Peter. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted to go. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands. That's the phrase that means you're going to be crucified. And another will dress you and carry you to where you don't want to go. 
He said this to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this to him, he said, follow me. He said, wait a minute. Jesus is restoring Peter by saying that he's going to be crucified for confessing Jesus. How exactly is that an encouragement? You see, to people in the West like us, that is just complete not. I mean, it's like when I say those things, it's like I'm speaking Chinese to myself. I don't even understand it. Okay? And the real truth of the matter is, is that for some, some amazing way is that suffering for Christ and for the gospel and for God brings us into this intimacy with Jesus that probably most of us will never experience. Because at least in America, when Jesus says to us, you know, you'll have life and life to the full, all that means is that we'll have a good job, a good retirement, hopefully we won't be sick, uh, an easy death and no hell. And that's what it means. And the Bible says crazy things. Paul was writing, he says, you know what? I really want to fellowship with you, Jesus, in your sufferings. In other words, I want to be suffering like you were, Jesus. And I want to die like you or for you so that somehow I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. It's an unbelievable message. And to us, we hear it and we think that that's not encouraging. But you see, to Peter, okay, that was completely what, it, what he needed to hear to be restored. Why? Because, see, Peter didn't want to deny Christ. He didn't want to deny him. And Jesus is essentially telling him, look, Peter, I'm going to give you another shot at this. But this time, you know, when you're before the jury, you're not going to deny me. You're going to be faithful to the end. You're going to die, and it's going to glorify God. And I, and I can imagine Peter just sitting back you know, on his rock or his, whatever he's sitting on, his stick or in the sand, and being, thank you, Lord. And that gave Peter the platform, the boldness, to walk out into this world and essentially be one of the founding members of the Christian church. And you can read about that in Pentecost. <clears throat> and the last thing that he says to him, uh, after saying these things, he simply says, uh, follow me. Follow me. So the two, the two really things I want to leave with you is this. Is that, uh, what Jesus requires of you is just to love him. And he knows it's going to be imperfect. And he says, that's okay. Come on, I can use it. Secondly, um, what does it look like for you to follow Jesus? I mean, for some students in here, I don't know if that means you're, you stop studying what you do and you study to become a pastor. And study th- I, I don't know what that means. If, if you're working out, does that, does that mean you, um, you know, maybe you've never confessed Jesus to your family or the people you work with? I, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe you're supposed to start a Bible study or life group in your home. I don't know. Maybe you're supposed to tell your next door neighbor about Jesus. I don't know what that looks like for you. But I really want you to be thinking, what does it look like for you to follow Jesus?